Over and out. <laughs> oh, that's a good. We should have done it like a trucker in. You don't have any Smokey and the Bandit endings? I died. No. Is this the preamble that you're recording after? <laughs> Sometimes it's at the end. Post-amble. Rubber ducky over and out. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we give you the tools to repair your finances and unfold the roadmap to a clean energy financial independence future. Whoa, you just... Wow, you free-balled it there. Yeah, <laughs> that, was not, uh, that was not approved pre-show. Well, that's, that's the teaser, right? That's a teaser for the yeah. topic a little later on. That's right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, right. Well. It's an exciting day in the garage, though. Well, yeah, that's why we got to start off the show here. First of all, I need to crack my beer. So oh yeah. Let's get let's get that done. Doesn't make that much noise coming out of a bottle. Now, the reason this is a special show, as the economist mentioned, and of course, I guess we should introduce ourselves. I'm the money mechanic. I am the accountant. And again, the economist. Right. Good to see you again, boys. Uh, so we had a bit of a brainwave, and it was the economist's brilliant idea. The best part about this is though. Right. That's exciting on its own. That's exciting. More exciting. Yeah, it's more <laughs> exciting. I get this email last week. And somebody bought us a round. Like, we hadn't even released this yet. We haven't even talked about it. It was just up there. We were working through the, you know, we're not web designers, so we're trying to build this page. And I kind of got the rough page done up, and boom. And we're like, huh, that's awesome. (laughs) So, Jeff from British Columbia, thank you so much, because you are the first person. And I emailed him back and said, you're the first person. And he's like, really? I'm surprised I'm the first. And I was like, no, uh, you're the first because this isn't even live yet. We're just sort of figuring it out. So uh, thanks again, Jeff. And he bought us a round. So cheers. Cheers to Jeff. Cheers. Yeah, that was a really nice mailbox delivery that I came home to today. Uh, No doubt. It was a nice cold beer sitting in my mailbox ready for recording. And the request from Jeff was that we have the Hoin Dark Matter, which we all do have this evening. And lovely Hoin Dark Matter is brewed, of course, in Victoria, British Columbia. And did anybody look up the blurb? Well, you guys got the small cans, but I got the... Uh, <laughs> the got Economist the has here. it on the bottle there. Yeah. He used up the rest of the uh, support money to buy his larger beer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so the blurb on Dark Matter is deep inside the... Oh, you're going to read it? Well, I was since I oh, have okay. it right here. I didn't know it was on your bottle. It's not on the little bottle. No, it, it, and it does start deep inside the Hadron Collider. Physicists hurdle subatomic particles with lightning speed on a collision course at each other. They do so in pursuit of pure science, in the hope of one day being unable to unlock the mystery of the elusive, unseen fabric upon which our universe is embroidered. Dark matter. Right on. We have this one on the Curling Club, too. It's good. This is a delicious beer. I love dark matter. It's one one of our favorites, isn't it? It is. Including one of Jeff's favorites, so... Cheers again to Jeff. Cheers again to Jeff. And so uh, all our listeners that are out there, thank you so much. If you feel compelled, you'll be able to find that buy us a beer button on our webpage. And of course, all that is just basically going towards supporting our cost of running the show for you. And also Jeff did have a question that we're going to address in a future episode, I think. Oh, I think we should just tackle it right now. Well, isn't it a bit of a large question? It's a whole episode for sure. Yeah. But he, uh, he asked us about using leveraged investing. That's definitely an entire episode. It's definitely an entire episode. I think what he, his specific question was at a time, well, it's kind of hard because when these shows get released versus what the market's doing today when we record is, has been drastically different. But at the time when the market's down, does it make sense to, to leverage and to invest? And you're right. We should do, well, I think we've talked about it a little bit before on the show, but we should probably do a whole episode of maybe when it's appropriate, when it's not. And yeah, we could get into a big rabbit hole, whether it comes from a HELOC, where it comes from a margin account, whether you're you know, taking out a loan. There's, right. There's, there's a lot to it. There is. And as the accountant loves to say, it's probably personal decision. <laughs> it's probably, probably based on a pretty personal circumstances. Yes. Doesn't he usually say, don't let the tax tail wag the dog or something? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, with that out of the way, we'll get on to the important topics of the, this evening. We're going to have a guest on with us. He's. Uh, did you go to school with him, Economist, a long time ago? Is that where you originally met? I met him at, at UVic, yes. So we're just going to call him the engineer for tonight. 
I think so. I guess so. that seems yeah. that seems about right. Seems fair. He he has a little bit more knowledge about what we're going to talk about than some of us do. But it's funny because we did actually record a a bit of an electric vehicle sort of slash alternative transportation episode that is is been shelved. It's in the uh, to be released one day archives. Yes. So we'll give it another shot tonight. We're going to talk. It's in the blooper reel. Archives. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It, I think it, it was wasn't be- our best effort. I think it was because we recorded it after episode 20 when we were supposed to be good. And we're like, well, that was like a pre-20 episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're still not good. So I think, uh, you know, we've been wanting to talk about uh, electric vehicles, alternative transportation choices for a while. And part of the reason is because The Economist made a purchase a couple months ago. Yeah, we at exactly the wrong time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> to finance a vehicle we we bought a tesla the lawyer and i yeah. and you know at this point we wish we would have liquidated all our assets bought the, <laughs> bought the car and then reinvested them the next day but <laughs> not much in the way of fuel savings at the moment without doing any driving that's right or when gas prices were at 89.9 or whatever they were right and so now we ha- like you're obviously keeping meticulous records so that we can actually do a ten year study cost benefit analysis on That's if right. it is cheaper, right? Absolutely, perfect. Yeah. See, here we go. We're we're actually <laughs> we're in the very beginning of a real life ten year study for what is cheaper: a <laughs> gas powered vehicle or an electric vehicle. <laughs> I'm just wondering what the beer flavors are going to be like in ten years. Oh, that's oh, a good like, point. Look how far we've come in the last ten years. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little bit of value to the discussion to be had too beyond just passenger cars, because I think passenger cars are um, a lot of vogue and fashion and personal wants. But there's some discussion to be had about, uh, you know, commercial and industrial vehicles, too, because I think there's a little bit of different slant. And we're going to have a little talk about how hydrogen fuel cells fit into this mix as well. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, without further ado, we'll we'll making sure that we are talking about it in a financial way. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, that's right. This isn't the uh, car podcast. No. <laughs> Fair enough. So after that further ado, yeah, let's introduce the engineer. Welcome to the FI Garage. You're the first guest that we've had that's actually driving while on the show and, and, and in an electric vehicle, which we're here to talk about tonight. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, you bet. Well, we know you've had an electric car for a while now and you're uh, an engineer by trade, so get your opinions uh, as an owner and the economist also now owns an electric car. So yeah, we'll kind of talk about this from a, you know, a financial independence perspective and maybe what the thought process was about getting into an electric vehicle in the first place. Did you choose because you wanted a zero emission vehicle or did you choose it because um, electric at the time made sense for your commuting needs? Uh, Well, my, my fall into the rabbit hole uh, started actually in China. And it was uh, 2012, it's the spring of 2012. So <clears throat> I had spent uh, a couple of months over there and I was in Tianjin, um, which is a fairly industrialized center, kind of on the Bohai Sea and on the west side, or I guess it's the east side of China. And there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of air pollution, like obscene amount. And I hadn't seen the sun like in, I'm going to say like several months <laughs> time. And I, my route back took me to Korea and then over to, to uh, Hawaii, and I landed in Honolulu. And the only car that Enterprise had for me to rent at the time was a Nissan Leaf. And so <clears throat> they had brought these things in or to the islands um, as sort of a, like a first of kind of a project because, you know, everything's fairly proximate on, on Oahu, and um, generally people aren't putting a lot of miles on the cars that they rent. So. Yeah. I was sort of disappointed because I had seen, you know, the Top Gear episodes and and that sort of thing that really poo-pooed the whole idea of electric cars. And I had very low expectations. And then I drove the thing and used it for, you know, a week or whatever. I was on Oahu and I kind of fell in love with it. And I realized, like, if it made sense in Oahu, then it would only make even more sense in Victoria, like where we have generally hydroelectric power, where our driving distances are not all that far either. And the car itself was at that point practical. Like it was a four-door car, decent amount of boot space. You know, it was peppy. 
And so I went on the hunt for one as soon as I landed and <laughs> uh, sort of talked my uh, now wife into the idea. And by well, late spring 2012, we had one uh, in the driveway. Nice. So is that you, you have a Nissan Leaf then, you said? Yeah, so that was our, our first Nissan Leaf. I'm, I'm on to the second one now. And so, you know, there's some realities that go with electric car ownership. And the, the other is that they're kind of, they're equivalent to a laptop. Like, you're, you're not, you know, we're scrapping an old Mercedes, like a 300 SE, an old diesel 1980. The car's older than me, but it's my wife's. And so it's a well-built car. Like, I am pulling the seat out of it the other day because I needed to shoehorn some stuff in the back. And there's like, you know, machine brass washers on the, on the, the like lap belts in the back. And there's not an ounce of oxidation on the bolts, you know, that mount the seat to the car. It's just that car was built to be a 40 year car. And these electric cars are disposable. So our first leaf in 20, 19, the spring of 2019, after having owned it from 2012, uh, had our first and only ever incident with it, which was a fairly major electrical component in the, in the, like a high voltage junction box. So it took the dealership about a month to come to the consensus that they needed to replace this fairly expensive part. And then of course they had to order it from Japan because there wasn't a domestically available part. <laughs> of course. So it, it was an ordeal and it was, it was an ordeal that you probably wouldn't have had to go down with a conventional vehicle just because, you know, their market penetration is so big and, you know, there's fleets of wrecked vehicles and all that kind of stuff. So that was the first one. It was covered under warranty. So we weren't out of pocket, anything on that. And it just sort of was the first indication that, you know, there's things that can go wrong with these electric cars are generally maintenance. I mean, it had been completely maintenance free up to that point. Right. Just uh, out of curiosity, what sort of ballpark price was the replacement going to be? And the way I'm looking at that is from the point of view is if I'm thinking of buying a used electric vehicle, we think of them as maintenance-free, but clearly there are things that are going to come up eventually. What kind of price was that uh, replacement part? Had it to come out of pocket? Yeah, that, that was a $5,000 Canadian part. Wow. Just the part or like installed? Just the part. So, you know, if you're comparing that to, you know, an engine rebuild, it's the equivalent to dropping a new motor in the car. And the car had, you know, a hundred and something thousand clicks, which, you know, is, is, is a fair number of kilometers, but not obscene and, and certainly, you know, not where you would expect that you'd have to replace part of that, you know, cost. The car itself, of course, had depreciated too at that point, to the point at which it was maybe valued at double that. You know, so you're looking at half of the car's value just in that one high voltage box. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I think we haven't seen yet what a used car market looks like for electric cars. And as you, you know, so rightly brought up earlier, they're a little bit like a laptop where there's an iteration every year, right, with improvements and changes and as the technology grows and stuff. And it's, you know, I look at, I'd like, I think I could run an electric car, but I don't necessarily want to buy a new one. Did you get? Did you get rebates on the most recent one you bought? And are you getting rebates from the car that you're scrapping? Yeah. So we're going to get a, we're going to get a rebate because we, the most recent one was a mini. So we bought the mini electric and that's what the, the Mercedes is getting scrapped for. That car gets you some incentive. So in BC, it gets you $8,000 between the federal and the provincial CED credit. It gets us another six with the scrap it because we're taking an old, you know, guzzler off the road. Uh, there's a couple of conditions on that. It has to have been insured for you know six months previously, and and blah blah blah. But um, the gist is, you know, that that six thousand bucks is to displace one internal combustion engine vehicle and get it off the road. So, so you knock you knock a few things back. But I didn't buy like so so to complete my story. I didn't buy another new leaf when the old leaf started to fade and we were having our you know battery issues and we had replaced that part. Uh, I replaced it with another Leaf by 2016, which is the car I'm driving at the moment. That I bought used because then I took, you know, I, the bulk of the depreciation had been taken out. What I really wanted out of this car was the fact that it had fast charging and a slightly bigger battery. 
Um, right. Because we had used the other one to at the point at which its utility to us was starting to get debatable. Like I was having a hard time getting, you know, a commuting distance of 130 kilometers through the winter time. This brought me back to that being totally, you know, viable. Your range had decreased? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I've got a little Leaf Spy monitor for the battery and the original battery had lost more than 20% of its original capacity. So that brought it from being functional to us to being not functional to us. And of course, you know, we moved it, it moved on to another family that doesn't drive a hundred plus kilometers with any regularity, but right. I needed something that did. So, so, and that, that one was a 2012 that you got rid of in 2019. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that 2012, is identical in you know every visually anyway to this 2016 this 2016 has a number of market improvements over the 2012 just in little things and it's generally technical things and under the hood but i think there's about like 140 changes that they made running changes between 2012 and 2016 all for the better for this car the most notable one which was the one that was really affecting my range and capacity was that this car has a heat pump in it the original one had a ptc heater in it so it was you know drawing my battery down every time i would start it even if i went you know three minutes down the road it started heating up the coolant loop to to operating temperature and then shutting off and reheating the loop the next time i start the car this car because it's using a, a heat pump it doesn't try to bring the coolant loop up to temperature immediately unless I start to drive for a distance. So it's got some smarts there as far as the programming goes. So you've been driving electric for eight, about eight years now. What have you noticed about the operating costs and then any changes in your operating costs if since you got the new one? Yeah, operating costs right now are, I mean, opportunistically good because... There's been a wave of charger infrastructure being installed. And so for the last three years, four years, I've been charging like 80 plus percent of my car utility is charged at public infrastructure and I don't pay for it. Right. So that that skews the economics hugely. I mean, I've got a charger at home, but the thing is I can opportunity charge. I take the kids play school that they go to has a charger there. Right. The pool, when we go to the pool, has a charger there. When I go to Fairway Market or the bank, I can charge there. So I'm doing very little of my charging at home. And then, of course, I didn't really have any maintenance costs because, fortunately, we got rid of the car under warranty. And that hadn't really cost us anything other than the month that we had lost the car. And so, you know, your your cost per mile is so insignificant. It's just really insurance, you know by and large, that's not a motivator for every person, right? I mean, it's, it's great for us because of where we live and the, and the things that have happened just recently, that's probably going to change in the future. It's not a reason to buy an EV by any means, but even if you have to do, you know, pay for charging, it's operating costs will still be so much, so much better than, than an ICE vehicle. Now, the operating cost may be way lower, but if you're only getting, say, eight years out of an EV, whereas I could get 20 to 30 out of a well-built ICE, do you think the trade-off there is, like, what do you think the difference is between those two? I, I think the trade-off, in my mind, anyway, the, the realization is the whole thing is like trying to save the environment or trying to save money. Those are two right. different paradigms. So if you're trying to save the environment, don't buy an EV. There's a, a myriad of ways you can, you know, reduce your carbon input, which have nothing to do with vehicles or transportation. So, you know, like, for instance, old homes, right? I mean, there's draft and, and heat stuff that we can do in our home, which is, you know, the vast majority of where we waste our energy. And then as far as driving the car to save money, if you're wanting to save money driving a car, buy a cheap car and just run it until its life is done. Right. Unless you don't have any mechanical prowess or that just totally scares you or whatever, utilize the, like the reason I'm scrapping that old Mercedes is it's, it's done hundreds of thousands of kilometers. It's done. It is done. Like I, I barely got it back to the Island (laughs) just to do the scrap. And, you know, I couldn't with any good intent, give it to anybody else. It's, 
its its utility is now finished and it was a well-built car and it got 40 years and that doesn't mean we should go and turf all those cars you know even if it's only got 200,000 kilometers and it's in good condition because that car will still provide utility plus all of that cost has been sunk it's not worth anything you know environmentally that that was sustained the damage of it was sustained a long time ago and now it's just a little bit of input for keeping the thing fueled and on the road right right so if you're not buying an ev to save the environment and you're not buying it to save money what's the argument for buying one yeah look at your particular circumstance right i mean you have to be very honest with yourself if you got many different motivations that might push you down EV ownership. Don't do it because you think you're going to change the environment paradigm and don't do it because you think it's the cheapest operating, you know, thing to do. So do it if the circumstance, like there's circumstances that might push you to do it. Anyway, you just mechanically not inclined. You don't like dealing with an old vehicle. You know, you're, you're a, an older person who, who has, you know, $50,000 and can pay the premium for an electric car up front and doesn't care about the depreciation at this point in time and is actually going to drive it a bunch. I think that's, uh, that's important. If you're going to drive it and drive it locally, that to me was a big reason we decided to buy the Tesla. And the reasons you just listed... In the perfect scenario. Right. right. Yeah. If there wasn't a COVID scare and we, we weren't driving at all. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the reasons you just listed all contributed to our decision and we bought the car with the full understanding that this was a consumption purchase rather than a money-saving purchase. Our old car was a 1989 Volvo. Still and, love that Volvo, by the way. Right. And that was the lawyer's car. I didn't have a car. You know, we, we really did need a new car. We were going to drive a lot locally. And we wanted to go on some road trips and the Tesla has some self-driving capability. So all those uh, reasons, and we're on hydro in BC. So added together, the, the decision made sense for us. And having the car now, I can say that I feel a lot better about going out and driving when I'm not spending $40 on a tank of gas if I decide to <laughs> go to the Fraser Valley or something, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's funny because it's funny you bring up that point because when I first, when we first got the car and we were just driving like recklessly everywhere, <laughs> drive all the time. It's like, who cares? We're driving, you know, it's a, like, then what is the positive ecological effect of your purchase decision? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we bought a car that doesn't run on fossil fuel anymore but we rack up three times the mileage because we're just driving aimlessly everywhere we go <laughs> that's right <laughs> and honestly i we had to have like a check with ourselves like because we had done it sort of like you know obviously i, I mentioned that i did it for you know air quality you know paradigm was at the front of my mind when i made the purchase i don't know do any of you guys use Turo? Oh, but I know what it is. We know what it is. That's where you can rent your own car out on the public marketplace. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I've thoroughly enjoyed using Turo when I'm gone to various locations, and it's coming now to BC. And so the other idea with the newest car, and probably with this car, is to is to put them up on Turo. So we'll have two vehicles that we can alternate between anyway, and then it'll give people a chance to go and experience the electric car thing and you know it's very hard to do it through like a dealership and just or trying to find a friend you can borrow it from or whatever and i've been really kind of pushing the idea on people because you know i've lent the car to many 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 friends over the years and just to see and, I, and i'm like be honest with yourself you know ask yourself do you even need a car really you know that's the first big question there's there's a lot of other things at your disposal and just because other people have cars doesn't mean you necessarily need one anyway and then if you do, and it fits all the other check boxes, then, you know, go ahead and start exploring it. But, but don't do it until, you know, you've made that assessment in a big way. And I think the Turo platform and, you know, other types like it will, will give us, it'll, it'll net us back a little bit of return for the car. And then it'll also still continue to do that in a more formal, you know, formalized way, I guess. As you know, I didn't have a car for a, f a few years until I moved. 
and I didn't need a car. And it's true. There's no better way to save money than not having a car at all or using your bike to get from A to B or after that, I guess, public transportation, very cheap options, not as enticing among the COVID situation, but but that uh, that's kind of the beauty of the whole Turo thing is for people that own vehicles, they can actually get some money back. We can have way less vehicles on the road, and it's a relatively cheap form of transportation for somebody who wants to use a car but doesn't want to own a car. Not necessarily more less cars on the road, but less cars produced. Yes, that's true. Less- and that, that's another thing with Uber, Turo, all these things. Less cars produced, which is a big environmental draw when you produce one car right oh yeah yeah. and especially electronic or electric cars i mean you've got you've got a lot of raw material in the same way i guess as anything really that we produce now industrially but it's like you know if i'm in eight years if i'm racking up 150,000 kilometers that's doing a lot of driving because we've got kids now that that's still just a fraction you know of what the taxi type cars in in our city do you know, in, in that same period of time. And so that's where the utility of, you know, resource needs to be expanded, not not to sit in my driveway and be sort of a, like, showpiece, you know, for, for my wealth and status. <laughs> well, I think that's a great point that you make up. And it was a bit of a pivot that I wanted to make in this episode anyway, was having a bit of a discussion about where we see these technologies headed in the future. And the accountant and economist also brought up good points where car ownership as individuals has been something that we've all kind of thought about since we were probably when we were 14, 15, we all wanted our first car, right? We're all guys. We've probably thought about that as soon as you get your driver's license. And I think the car culture, if you want to call it that in, in North America or even the world has been such that it was like everybody has their own car or every household at least has a car or things like that. And that's changing, I think, with all these car sharing options that there are, Turo, whether it's um, the economist used, uh, what was it, Moto, where you could have car share, things like that's that. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so there's going to be some changes there, I think, in the future with, with ownership and maybe not necessarily having to have your own vehicle, like you said, that sits in your driveway. But you also brought up the point that we're talking about some sort of fleet vehicle. And my question is, does electric make sense for fleet vehicles? Because one of the problems that I see, and and as well for individual owners, is the the recharge time. And I like where you're saying you're an opportune uh, opportunist charger, where you use all the, the free charging around town that you can get. That's awesome. But when it comes to fleet vehicles, they're not going to be able to be down for that amount of time. So you know, we're going to talk about sort of like think of everything that's on the road, whether they're local delivery vehicles, whether they're buses, whether they're school buses, uh, whatever sort of vehicles, even in industrial settings, forklifts, things like that. I went down a bit of a rabbit hole learning about hydrogen fuel cells. Hey, hey! I know the, the this is supposed to be the accountant's little rant, but he dropped off the Zoom call here. So. Okay, let's okay, let's hear from the accountant then. I I wanted to hear what your thoughts on uh, hydrogen were and then we'll go back into the the sort of i don't want to have like it's not a versus discussion because i think all of these technologies are going to fit together i think i think it's going to be better in every way when it comes out okay well tell it's going to be well give us your opinion i give us the hot take the hot take is that it's going to (laughs) be i mean essentially you can modify a standard internal combustion engine to run off of hydrogen so you're not going to have all of the terrible mining that you get out of the rare earth elements that have to go into a lithium-ion battery your production for, uh, you know, environmental wise is going to be way less. You can create hydrogen off of garbage, essentially. There's tons of different ways to manufacture hydrogen and create it. So you can create a zero efficient, like a zero emission fuel that can also be incredibly cheap. So it's going to be more cost effective and more environmentally friendly. And I think that's the actual change that's going to make a significant difference as opposed to electric vehicles. I can test that one. I, I, I don't think that, <laughs> I, I think it will end up being electric. It, it takes the cake. I mean, you know, we I, I ran into a fellow who is an electrician. He was doing the installs for uh, I can't remember what the company is here. H2 something like that on, on, in BC, they're putting in the infrastructure for hydrogen refuel. So they were, he was working out in uh, hope at the time, putting, you know, 
putting the equipment in. And, and certainly like, you know, Toyota is, I think, bankrolling a huge proportion of that. And there's, there are some big players in it, no doubt. But we're at the same time, we're rolling out like an EV infrastructure that can charge it now like 350 kilowatts. So if you're talking about fleet in terms of courier, you know, truck delivery, that kind of thing, unless you're talking like long haul freight, the stuff that's coming from Manitoba to Vancouver, you know, regularly, which, you know, maybe that will be buffered with hydrogen ultimately at some point after diesel fuel, but probably not for a while, then you're going to be, you know, at 350 kilowatts, you're talking the ability to, you know, recharge a reefer truck, uh, you know, a B train that's going from Kamloops to Vancouver very quickly. And so I think the edge will go there just because also the, the market paradigm has shifted. Like, you know, you can modify internal combustion engines and, and do those sorts of things. You can put, you know, the, the tanks that are required for hydrogen storage and all that aboard. But that's a huge cost in retrofit. And, you know, it's not getting the same backing as the electric side is right now, you know, with major car manufacturers starting to spend and, and other, you know, electronics, Panasonic or Samsung or whoever it is, like those are big global players as well, who are really pushing the electric side. And I, I agree with you on that. But my wife is in the commercial transportation space. And they've already abandoned all of their electric projects because they just didn't work out and they weren't financially feasible. And they've all moved to hydrogen. And I think the push will come once people realize that it is a better form of doing it. Right. I mean, and and I've heard, so maybe you can weigh in on this because the other issue is like, yeah, there's all kinds of sources of hydrogen. That's, that's great. But we're still getting our hydrogen from California or Quebec, like here, here in BC. So, you know, until we actually wrangle some domestic source, you know, we can't even build a pipeline for petroleum right now. So they're talking about the new wastewater plant, the new sewage plant in Victoria. They're talking about including a hydrogen conversion in that plant. So we would actually be sourcing our own hydrogen from our feces in Victoria. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they've had, you know, they've had a gas recovery up at Heartland already, and they're going to expand yeah. that as well. Yeah. But, but like, I think it's still when you, when Wade, like, not to, you know, split hairs, but I'm, I know, I know a lot of people have been talked into, into hydrogen and to the hydrogen economy of things. But when I kind of read between the lines at how it's going to scale and who's involved in it, I, I think it's a losing battle. So I noticed there was a hydrogen pump at uh, my local shell station. Have single family vehicles already started to make this change or yeah, I think Hyundai has uh, the selection right now of, of hydrogen equipped, you know, ready off the lot kind of cars. They're, they're few and far between. There's a, I think there's a couple blog posts from the principle of that H2. You're going to have to check it out later. I, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but if you Google it, you'll find it of him doing like a road trip up to Whistler with the hydrogen. I don't know, Hyundai Santa Fe, maybe kind of like a, an SUV kind of thing. But again, like market penetration is tiny. Like even compare it to your Tesla, you know, or, yeah. or, or that sort of thing. It, it's like, I think Toyota and Hyundai are sort of, you know, the ones who are probably pushing it to some degree, but even there, I don't think Toyota even produces a full EV yet. So yeah, they do. They okay. do. They've got it. Yeah. It's the Toyota Mirai. Oh, okay. Uh, They've got a version out. They've got a, the 2021 version looks really good. And it was part of my little rabbit hole that I went down to <laughs> learning about that. Okay. And there's, there's a really good podcast for any of our listeners that are interested in the, the whole hydrogen thing. It's basically called everything, uh, everything about hydrogen. And I listened to a couple good episodes on there. One of them, there's a hydrogen council. And you're right, Toyota is a big proponent of it, and Air Liquide and some other uh, big players are out there talking about this. And it is, it's interesting to hear your discussion with the accountant about it, because they, they talk a lot about how this gets scaled up and how it gets rolled out. And infrastructure is the number one question. Whether we're talking about electric or hydrogen, yeah. it's infrastructure, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. You know, this doesn't have to be VHS versus beta. No, you're right. And I think, I think this is, that's a good point as well. 
it's going to be an incorporated technology. And I think from a financial point of view for us consumers, for personal vehicles, I think electric probably makes more sense, right? But for fleet or commercial or industrial operations, it really sounded like hydrogen made a lot of sense to me just from uh, long haul type trucking or whether it was uh, speed of refueling things like that. And I just wanted to read this because I know a lot of our listeners are probably going, how the heck does a fuel cell work, right? The hydrogen fuel cell. <laughs> I don't know if they are or not. They might be thinking. I wasn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wanted to point this out because you, uh, the accountant brought up that you can convert. And I don't think that's really where we're at here is converting old vehicles to run on hydrogen. No, that's I not. Think it, I, I think yeah. it's more of a new vehicles yeah. that are built for hydrogen. So this is the interesting part though. And, and let me read this here so that our listeners can understand. Basically, they're just saying how a hydrogen fuel cell works. Okay. So it says a fuel cell is a device that converts chemical energy into electric energy. A series of chemical reactions split hydrogen into protons and a current of electrons and then combines them with oxygen, which produces water and heat. The flow of electrons is the electric current. The electric current is used to power the batteries and ultimately power the bus. So we're still talking about an electric bus. We're just using hydrogen as a fuel cell. Yes. So I, I thought that was really interesting. We're still talking about electric vehicles. Well, that that's if you're using a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. There is right. also hydrogen vehicles that is an internal combustion engine and hydrogen is the fuel it is burning. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And I mean, from a standpoint, I didn't even see what the Toyota car costs, but you know, this is, this is the barrier to entry for a lot of people is the cost of these technologies. Well, I, well, think, I think that's going to end up being the thing that is the most important is which one of like, you know, a lot of electronic devices have planned ob- obsolescence. So if car yeah. companies are going to come out and they're going to plan obsolescence for the vehicles they're building, somebody else will come along and give you a vehicle that, yes, it is expensive up front, but it will last you for 30 years, you know, like the Mercedes did. <laughs> I, Go ahead. Oh, I, yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, I wish that were the case. But honestly, I think on the slippery slope that we find ourselves, it's the other way. It's just, you know, it continues to more and more disposability. At least that certainly in my mind seems to be the trend. You know, obviously niche players who still play to the reliability and longstanding nature of their product. But, you know, that will be a niche in my mind. And that's another reason why I think the electric, like I hate hate to keep thumping on the the hydrogen thing, but I, I honestly in the long haul, you know, short of running our BC ferries and maybe some locomotives and agricultural equipment, that sort of thing, I... I just don't think hydrogen will be able to compete. I think it's important to remember that these are still early days in the electric, well, alternative fuel sources and prices are high in early days of new technology. Okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just wait a minute. What do you mean (laughs) early days? I'm going to call you out on early days. Have you heard of Ballard Power? Fair enough, but there's what been year no- did Ballad Power start? What year? Come on, yeah, had to had to be the nineties. It was, yeah, yeah. So there you go. You could argue maybe early days for adoption. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's okay. Right. That yeah, there you go. That's the better way to phrase it. Early days for adoption. Yeah. So if you're looking to hasten your path to financial independence, it's still probably not the time to buy electric or buy hydrogen. No. Utilize existing infrastructure to the max. Like the frugal agenda is just buy beater. You know, I think the economist had the program going for a long time. (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) Buy the buy the five hundred dollar car or truck or minivan and drive it to the ground because that is the economical way to go about it. And then call call your friends when it breaks down on the side of the road to come pick you up. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Keep a mechanic, you know, maybe a tow guy on, <laughs> on you know, speed dial, but run her to the ground. Or don't have the car at all. Better yet, walk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your heart will thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll agree with that. I mean, we've got uh, an older Volkswagen TDI diesel from the early 2000s and 
And I, I'd, like I said earlier, I'd, I'd like to make the switch to an electric, but from a cost benefit analysis at this point and ignoring the environmental impact because we really don't drive that much. It just means we don't have to buy fuel very often and it's very economical for us. Right. Yeah, that's, that's actually the perfect case in point because, you know, thousands of those vehicles with a diesel gate scandal got crushed and, and ruined. You know, they, they got collected and they never saw the utility that they could have seen. And it was unfortunate because for the evil that created the thing or whatever, if you want to view it as, as that, it was kicking them when they were down to just take those things off the road and, and put them in lots and then watch them just weather away. You know, that, that, that was the wrong motivation too, right? Absolutely. Did you did you ever watch this is like this is now the mechanic and the engineer talking we'll, <laughs> like we'll geek out about this but uh the engineer did you actually see that documentary about how they figured out that Volkswagen was uh BSing their emissions rules Volkswagen matched all the tests in the test chamber all their reports were 100% accurate and this is okay. Maybe this is the good time to say this is for entertainment purposes only, <laughs> <laughs> and don't quote me on this. But what they found was that only when there was a steering wheel input was the engine sort of retuned to uh, higher or I guess lower emission standards, higher power. So on the test cell, there was no steering wheel input. It lowered its emissions and detuned itself while it was being tested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. You know, considering, and it was, and it brought up a very valid point, which was that, you know, that was by and large a political issue. Yes. And, and it was unfortunate because it ended up being a spinoff ecological issue, which it never should have been. So before we go down that dark corridor, uh, <laughs> just, correct course, just some, <laughs> just correct course and some parting words. I threw my, my listenings of other podcasts today and things like that. And this is anecdotal. Of course, I'm not, uh, not saying anything. There's definitely a sort of a fanboy club for the Teslas. And I think they're beautiful looking cars, but the kind of the impression is that they're one of the few manufacturers that don't actually live up to their range. What they claim is their range they're able to get for their range just from personal experience, because I know the economist hasn't had his long enough, but of your eight years of experience is the range claims pretty accurate or does it just depend so much on, you know, temperature, weather, what other peripherals you're using in the car and things like that. How much, how can we know as people that we're using the car that we're going to get 400 kilometers? Yeah. Well, unfortunately range is the equivalent of penis. Length. <laughs> and so it becomes, <laughs> It becomes a fixation for people. You know, it's like, how much range? The question is, how much range do you need? And the, the answer is very little because you end up driving. Like, I, I get home at the end of the day and I go, oh, I've been driving all day. I take the kids here, you know, drop the wife off there. I put on 65 kilometers, you know? It's like, <laughs> okay, big deal. And then, yeah, so what? I want to go and visit my, my sister who lives in Calgary. So I'm going to put on 2,000 kilometers this weekend. So I won't take the electric car. Like it's just not an option and it doesn't make any sense to even bother thinking about it. So, right. So, you know, the, the range thing is annoying in my mind because it's irrelevant. Well, <laughs> it, I, I don't know about that. Cause with the Tesla, our range is, is 500. And I think it's somewhat less than that, maybe 10% less, but with the new fast charge stations, 15 minutes, four times on the way to Calgary or maybe five, I think I think it is a consideration with if you have a vehicle with range, you know, above a couple hundred kilometers. Yeah, if you if you fit a certain you know niche category for sure, the the range thing might be you know it might be necessary that you have the right amount of range. I noted that we lost twenty percent of our range in that you know eight years. Arguably, that yeah. did have an effect you know on my one fairly regular trip that I do you know which is over to the mainland and back. And so that precipitated me, you know, swapping the vehicle out as well. But the range thing, yeah, I mean, it was woefully overstated on our 2012 when it, when it first came out because, you know, they used the Japanese test standards and then they modified them and they made them, you know, more acceptable to the EU and to the US markets. And you're always going to have the nitpicking back and forth. You know, some days you might get 15% more range because you're driving, you know, much more conservative. Downhill all the way. And, you know, you're not going up, you're <laughs> yeah. not going up hills and all that stuff. So, 
So there's always going to be this endless argument. But if the car has around 100 kilometers range, then you have around 100 kilometers of utility out of it. If it has around 500, you have around 500. It's like splitting hairs beyond that. And I think it ends up being the main point of contention, which is silly. Yeah, it's an order of magnitude thing, not a per, not a down to the kilometer thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I think you're right. A lot of us get wrapped up in that, and you know, it's oh, I'm not going to get a used one because it's only got the 300 kilometer range and it's got it's lost 20 percent of its battery capacity. So how's that going to fit in, or how's that going to work for me when I do my road trips? And there's a good point made there that I think many Canadian households are probably two car families to start with anyway. So maybe having one electric is the answer if it fits into your lifestyle and your budget and your FI plans to use it around town and having, you know, that hauler that goes on the road trip makes sense too. I don't know. I think are most of uh, our listeners, two car families. I don't know about that. Well, that's a good question. I don't know if you're on the path to fight. I mean, zero cars is best. Yeah. Yeah. The next best thing to zero is one. Yeah. (laughs) I, th- I think that's what we've really come down to is that the best cost-effective strategy is to just not have a car in general. Or to use churro when you have a car to make money back. There you go. Yeah, I've, I, I refrain from jumping all, all over that one because that could lead to uh, consumption spending or lifestyle inflation where you're like, hey, I can justify getting Fair. The, the fancy Tesla because I'm going to rent it out every weekend until it doesn't rent out for a month and you're stuck with the payments anyway. Fair. So like Airbnb owners right now with uh, <laughs> no travel. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah. Probably hasn't been that many churro rentals going on right now either. No. no, they haven't because I've I've been kind of monitoring their correspondence with things. And I mean, they're trying to break into the BC market right now, but you can tell they're definitely trying to push it, and, you know, especially on the local side, right. which I think makes sense, you know, because it, yeah. it is something you can utilize more locally. Like the last time we used it was when we were in New York and it was again, an electric car. We, you know, got a model X <clears throat> and used it for the week to go up and down Long Island and and it was fabulous and it was great and it was a good experience, but it wasn't a major motivator for the whole trip. And if that utility would have been available here, I would have just done it here. You know, it, it was nice that we could kind of combine it. And it certainly showed me the utility of it because when you're driving in New York traffic and you've got autopilot to assist you and guide you as you go, it, it makes life so much better. But um, you know, and that guy, that guy lived in New Jersey and he was making more than his payments on it, renting it out. But again, he lost the utility of that vehicle because he was simply the owner and it was being rented out often enough that right. you know, he could, he could make that. So, all right, well, the economist has got an electric and the engineer has an electric and I've got a diesel and the economist or the accountant has a truck. So yeah, it's just car share. We got our own car. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got yeah. the diesel going. <laughs> yeah, that works. That's right. We've got a community here of, uh, of different vehicles and different ranges. So just split them up. Yeah. Divide and conquer. Well, and I, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. Like having sort of more community use and, and cutting down on every, everybody's individual costs and all the rest of it. I think that's kind of the way things have I to mean, go. If you don't want to share a vehicle, don't own a truck. <laughs> Fair enough. I'd say I drive it 25% of the time. <laughs> if you want to save money and you want to save the environment, that's the only way you can do it, really. Share. That's right. Fair enough. Yeah. Share. Exactly. Well, Mr. Engineer, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and giving us some insight into electric ownership and some other thoughts and ideas for the listeners. Much appreciated. Good chatting again. It's been a while. Likewise. Yeah, gentlemen. Thanks for inviting me on for the day. Thanks for coming by. Absolutely. See you later. You betcha. Well, we all know that transportation is like our number two expense, right? Right. I think a lot of our listeners out there are going, this FI garage doesn't talk about cars very often. <laughs> and when they talk about cars, they don't talk about <laughs> FI at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's a really tough discussion to try and synthesize. True. And it, but it sounds like, because I've heard a lot of people argue that the electrical vehicle purchase is a money-saving purchase. And I think we've decided that that is not true. Well, I, I ran the numbers when we were making our decision. And I think the purchase is going to delay our FI date by 10%. Right. Interesting. Okay. So it was a consumption expenditure. 
Right. It's mm-hmm. not a, you're not doing it to save money. Right. And if the car lasts 40 years, in the last 30 years, we're going to be saving money. In the first 10, you're not. Right. The thing that I struggle with, again, is because I've always been a used car buyer and basically not necessarily running them into the ground. And you know, we could ha- start have a whole nother episode about when, at what age or what price range should you buy a used car and when should you sell a used car to get maximum value. Right. And maybe we do need to talk about that one show. But I've always tried to find that sweet spot with A, what I could afford in cash as a younger person, yeah, mm-hmm. how long I could keep it running by doing my own maintenance, and at what point did it make sense to get rid of it. This is a whole new world with electric i have no nothing to go on i think I that's mean, the big thing is you don't have the data the, like if a 2012 only lasted eight years like yeah. i hope the technology is improved because if i'm only getting eight years off of a purchase that's not very good right exactly yeah so a lot of unknown a lot of unknowns here and i think really the takeaway that i got from talking with the engineer there was that this is going to be, again, a really personal decision. Does it fit in with your needs, right? Your commuting needs or, wants. <laughs> or your, ve- your vehicle wants or needs, right? And I think we all want to do better for the environment. And, and how do we balance that out with saving money and, and our journey to FI? That's, it's a tough yeah, one. Right. It's, I, there's no right answer as usual, but I'm going to stick with my 17-year-old vehicle for at least another three years. I mean, I, I, I think all vehicles should at least make 20 years. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes right. you just got to move your work closer to your home. Ah, that's, I like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. I want to oh. say thanks to Jeff again, because dark matter is a delicious beer, as we all know. And the only thing better than a delicious beer is, is a paid is for, a, <laughs> is a bought round delicious beer. A bought delicious beer. Fair enough. We should also say that, uh, Jeff, if you want a real treat, try a Rudy. It's a half dark matter, half fat tug. <laughs> that, that is a great point. Ooh. That's a Victoria Curling Club special. Yes, it is. That is a special. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, send us your comments. You can find us on all the usual social media channels and drop us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening to us from. We do appreciate it. We're thinking of we doing a, a show about questions, aren't we? Reviews. Yeah, well, we do. We do. Each one of us, we usually review who's the most qualified, which usually ends up being the accountant because there's some sort of tax involved. (laughs) (laughs) We do reply personally to every email and comment that we get. So we do appreciate them. We have fun with it. And we hope we we all learn something. That's what we're here trying to do. See you next time in the FI Garage. Good night. Over and out.